as I mentioned earlier, we are going to continue on in our series this morning called Names of God. We are in the third week of our series. And so the last few weeks, we've been looking at different names of God because I believe as we understand some of the different names of God, it helps us to understand some of the different characteristics and attributes of who God is. And it can even change the way that we pray to God. It can change the way we communicate with God. The more we know about who God is, the more we understand about God, the more it can help in our relationship with God. And so we've been walking through the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. And we've been looking at how God is revealing himself to the Israelites as they've been enslaved in Egypt and as he's taking them out of the Egyptian um, slavery. And so here's what's happened so far in the first two weeks to catch you up in case you weren't here or just as a quick review from the first two weeks. So in week one, we looked at the name of God, I am, or Yahweh would be another way to look at it, of God appearing to Moses at the burning bush. When God appeared to Moses at the burning bush and he said, hey Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver the Israelites out of the Egyptian captivity. And Moses was like, what do you mean you're going to use me to deliver the, Egypt, or the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity? Uh, and he's like, well, like, I am God. I am going to. But I'm going to work through you, through Moses, to deliver the Israelites from out underneath the Egyptians. Because I am Yahweh. God is the self-existent, eternal, always God. He, I am, does whatever he wants to do. He was going to rescue his people from slavery. Last week, in part two of our series, we looked at the name El Shaddai, Lord Almighty. And we looked at how God took on all the little g-gods when he sent all the ten plagues on Egypt. Because each of the plagues that God sent against Egypt took on different little g-gods that the Egyptians Served. Some of the plagues actually had four or five different little g-gods that were supposed to be able to stop these different plagues from happening. And none of these gods that the Egyptians served were able to stop God from doing any of these things. And so God was showing how almighty, all-powerful he was compared to any of these other gods that the Egyptians served, including when finally, the last one, when it was the death of the firstborn, when even Pharaoh, who the Egyptians looked at as a god as well, wasn't able to save his own firstborn son. The Egyptians were like, that's it. Go. Go, Israelites. Go. We, there's nothing we can do at this point. So they went. But we know that's not where the story ended. It doesn't end with the Egyptians simply just letting the Israelites go. Pharaoh changed his mind. And so... That's where we're going to pick it up this morning with what happened once Pharaoh let the Israelites go and then he changes his mind. So the people had wandered a little way out into the desert and understandably they got thirsty. So we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 15 this morning. So if you have your Bible, you can feel free to turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So Exodus chapter 15, starting with verse 22, where it reads, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. 
We're going to stop there for just a moment. Wait, so Moses is leading Israel, and Moses is following God's leading and his directing. So you could say that essentially God is leading Israel, right, at this point. He's leading them to where they're going, and all of a sudden they have this legitimate need where they didn't have any water to drink. So nobody was saying that they didn't need to drink water anymore, or that God had rescued them so that this was going to be their happily ever after. Of course, there's more to the story. Just for a bit of context, I want, I want you guys to understand. This is right after God separated the Red Sea and allowed them to walk through on dry land. Because all of a sudden, the Pharaoh sent the Egyptian army after them. And here are the Israelites, and the Egyptian armies behind them, with the Red Sea in front of them going, We have nowhere to go. And so God splits the Red Sea, and they begin to walk through on dry land. And after they get through it, and the Egyptians follow them, God brings the Red Sea back over top of them. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But again, God delivered them from the Egyptians in that moment. So that's the context. God has just brought them through the Red Sea, and now they've wandered three days beyond the Red Sea, and now they're thirsty and have no water to drink at this point. So let's pick it up at verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah means bitter, as we can figure out from the context of this passage. But why was the water so bitter? What made it bitter? We're not entirely sure, but it may have been the high salt content of the water. The water was borderline undrinkable or altogether undrinkable. But there's also evidence that the amount of water that was there was insufficient for the amount of people anyhow. For all the, the thousands and thousands of Israelites, it wouldn't have been enough water anyhow, even if the water was drinkable. And so God led them to this place. Why? Why would God lead them to Mara, a place that didn't have sufficient water or drinkable water? Bitter water. He led them to a place that didn't really meet their needs. Why? Because God expects us to trust him when life gets bitter. God expects us to trust him when life isn't always perfect. There's times in life where it just, it's downright bitter. Things get sour, and God still expects us to trust him in those times, in those seasons of our lives. When there are problems at home that aren't your fault, we still have to trust God. When you don't know what to do next, what are we supposed to do? Continue to trust God. When you're stuck in a situation you can't get yourself out of, but you don't know what to do, trust God. Maybe you just don't feel like trusting Him when life gets bitter. But sometimes life is just bitter. We must continue to trust God when things get bitter. So here's the question, how did the Israelites respond? Well, they had just seen God prove himself with a bunch of miracles, right? He delivered them from the Egyptians through all the plagues and overcoming the little G gods that were nothing. Then they went to this place where God separated the Red Sea, as I mentioned, and he allowed them to walk through on dry land. And then they got to witness him literally bring the waters back on top of the Egyptian army and drown them. Think of these miracles that they had witnessed. Think of that. We sit here today and we're like, man, I would love to see a miracle like that. They had witnessed a number of amazing 
miracles right before their very own eyes. So how do they respond? Right? It's been three days since the Red Sea incident took place, that miracle took place. So naturally you think they'd be like, hey God, you know, we're, we, we don't know what to do right now, but we're going to trust you in this because we've seen you over and over again prove yourself to provide a miracle and do what you're supposed to. Or like, you're, you've shown up and, and done something amazing. You've got this. We know you do. Here's how they respond in verse 24. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? They grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Trust? Nope, not so much. They grumble. And actually, if you look at the word grumble, it's way stronger in Hebrew, which is a language that the Old Testament was written in. It doesn't mean they just whined. Grumbling actually in the Hebrew means that they question God's authority. They actually question his authority when they grumbled in that way. It means they question God's abilities and his motives. That's how frustrated and upset they were with this. They wondered if God could do anything for them. Really? Like seriously? That's where they got to? They've lost their trust in God that quickly already in this situation? They were done with him? That they thought that God was going to just leave them here thirsty without anything to drink? So what did Moses do? Moses went back to I am. He went back to Yahweh. He went back to the Lord Almighty El Shaddai. The one who had been leading him and directing him from the moment that he called him at the burning bush to lead the Israelites. He knew God would continue to guide him as he had from the beginning of this whole adventure. So what did God tell Moses to do this time? The first part of verse 25 reads like this. Then he cried out to the Lord, Moses speaking, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw the tree into the waters, and the waters became sweet. People often wonder why God chose to have Moses throw a tree into the water. And people have all kinds of different thoughts about it. People think, well, there are certain trees and berries and things that have sweetening qualities in them. There's different ideas about that. Uh, and that is true, but it, it's been proven in the area that they were at, there are no trees that have those qualities, and so that's not true. I like the way that Matthew Henry's commentary puts it. This is what he says. He, God, directed Moses to a tree, which he cast into the waters, when at once they were made sweet. Some make this tree typical of the cross of Christ, which sweetens the bitter waters of affliction to all the faithful and enables them to rejoice in tribulation. But a rebellious Israel, Israelite shall fare no better than a rebellious Egyptian. The threatening is implied only, the promise is expressed. God is the great physician. If we, if we are all kept well, it is he that keeps us. If we are all made well, it is he that recovers us. He is our life and the length of our days. Let us not forget that we are kept from destruction and delivered from our enemies to be the Lord's servants. At Elam they had good water, and we'll get to Elam in a minute, and enough of it. Though God may, for a time, order his people to encamp by the bitter waters of Mara, that shall not always be their lot. Let us not faint at tribulations. So God was in control 
And he proved he cared for his people and he fixed the problem by literally having Moses take a tree and throw the tree and the water and the bitter waters became sweet. And God fixed the problem and he fixed it in a way that none of them would have anticipated. Why? Because God often does things in a way that we would never anticipate. Why? Because God's thoughts are different than our thoughts. His ways are different than our ways. It tells us that in Isaiah 55. What does it say? It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now back to the rest of verse 25 of Exodus 15. It says, There he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. Look at that. It says that he tested them. God tested them. Remember, God led the Israelites to this exact place. He put them in a place to see if they were going to trust him or they were going to question him. Were they going to trust him or they were going to question him in this place? Right? Remember, when you were in school, what happened? You would get tested to see what you had learned. At work, you have annual reviews to see how your work progress is going. God is giving them a test to see what they learned. What did they do? They failed miserably. They failed. They didn't trust God. We are not promised an easy life. We are promised our best life when we trust in God. We are not promised an easy life, but we are promised our best life when we trust in God. So how can we be sure of God? Look at the stories. Look at Scripture. He has proven himself over and over and over again to be faithful. Look at the provisions that he has, he has given in your life, your family, your friends, your freedom to worship, the fact that we're able to gather together here freely on a Sunday morning with no concern, no worry at all about what we're doing, right? There are countries around the world, people cannot do this. We can't grasp that. I can't grasp that fact. That there are people around the world that cannot do this. They cannot carry a Bible around without fear of what may happen to them because of that. Right? The fact we can carry a Bible wherever we want to. But the fact that we can openly hear the gospel. Ultimately, look at what God did through Jesus on the cross. The ultimate provision that God made for us. He gave his life to rescue each and every one of us from the slavery that sin had over our lives. He led us across the Red Sea of death to life. The symbolism of that is real. He's worthy of our trust. God is fully worthy of our trust. But what do we do? Often we focus on one or two things that didn't go our way. Why, why, why didn't I end up getting to go to the college that I wanted to attend? Why didn't God give me the money that I was hoping to get or the money that somebody else ended up getting? Why is my family struggling to get along? Why can't I have the vehicle that I'm hoping, that I hope to have? Why did God take that loved one away from me before I was hoping or before I was ready? Why do I have to go to school? Maybe you're a teenager or you're a young adult. Why do I still have to go to school? Why can't I do what I want? Why can't I treat whomever however I want? Why, why, why? We question. 
we question, we question. What does that mean? It's a lack of trust in God. God makes himself clear if we continue reading in verse 26. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of God, of, of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the disease on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. I, the Lord, am your healer. The Lord who heals, our God, is a healer. He is the one who makes you and I right, makes us whole, makes us complete, heals us. What was wrong with the Israelites in this situation? God didn't call himself the water healer. God called himself the people healer. They were untrusting. That was what was wrong with the Israelites. They were untrusting. They were being unfaithful in the situation. They were faithless. But our God is the Lord who heals. And at times we can become like the Israelites. We become sinful. We begin to do things our own way. This is ultimately the source of each and every one of our troubles. Our faithlessness, even when God has proven himself over and over again, that he is almighty, that he is El Shaddai, that he is the I Am, that he is Yahweh, that he is our healer, we continue to try to do things our own way. The healing that he does is the healing of our unfaithfulness, the healing that is our sin. We don't trust him completely. He heals us. And like the solution to the problem of the bitter water, his solution doesn't always look like we think it should. It's different because, again, why? His thoughts are not our thoughts, nor his ways our ways. God asks us to do what? He asks us to simply trust and obey him. That's it. Simple. Trust and obey him. Like we've talked about, we have to prove that he's worth it. Verse 27, the last verse of Exodus 15 says, Then they came to Elhim, where, they were, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date palms, and they camped there beside the waters. Here's the flip side. Maybe everything is going great in your life. We can often turn clear waters bitter in the way that we handle the easy times in our lives. Why? Sometimes we get lazy. We assume that we have it all together. We stop being faithful. Why? Because we don't need to trust because everything is going well. And we stop being faithful. We find our, our lives not working out the way that we hoped they would and we stop being faithful. So what do we have to do? Stay faithful. Why? Because the best is yet to come. No matter how great your life is right now, I can promise you, the best is still yet to come. God has greater things yet in store for you as you remain faithful and you follow what he's asking you to do. That is the greatest thing. We never reach the greatest things that God has for us until the day that he brings us home. Amen. Things will always get better as we continue to trust him and remain faithful to him. And so stay faithful. The best is yet to come. The people wanted rest. The Israelites wanted rest. 
Today, many of us, we long for rest. We don't want the drama. We don't want the chaos of everything that's going on. We have to trust him to bring us to that point of finding rest. We have to let him be the healer of our unfaithfulness, the healer of our brokenness. God gives us two kinds of rest in our life. Number one, salvation. Believe in Jesus and what he did upon the cross. Number two, God gives us rest. Resting, rest and trusting him today with everything because he's proven he is our healer. He's still working on us and he makes us holy. It's a process called sanctification. We talk about this sometimes. It's, it's, it's a Christianese word, but it's just a process of becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. And it's a process we're continually working on, again, until the day that Jesus calls us home. It's never, ever done. Coming more and more like Jesus. So it, it, this process is an active process. It requires trust. It's work. It's not apathy. It's not, okay, God, whatever you want. It's simply trusting God. When God asks you to do something, it's saying, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Yes, God, I will do that. It's looking for where he's leading him and trusting him in obedience with that. It can be both difficult, but it is every bit worth it. It can be difficult, but it's every bit worth it. I want to encourage you with that this morning. We believe that our God is our healer. So I want to encourage um, you this morning with a few things. If we can get our worship team to come back up at this point. As we wrap up our time this morning, we're going to get to our, our prayer time in just a moment. But a few things I want us to, to look at before we get there. This morning, maybe you're longing for healing as you feel as though currently you're sitting at the waters of Mara in a sense that you're at a place where things seem bitter, where things are, are unbearable. You're just at a place in your life where you're like, man, I just feel like whether God has led me to this place or I've just found myself at a place where life is just, I just, I can't take it anymore or it just... It's difficult. Things are really hard. And unless God comes and intervenes in the situation, I don't know what I'm going to do. Trust God in that situation and know that God has a solution as you look to God. And it may not be what you think it is. Why? Because God often doesn't, his solution is often not what we think it's going to be. It's often much different than we think it is. It often looks different than we think it's going to be. And this morning when we have our time of prayer, I want to encourage you, allow one of us to stand with you in prayer. Allow one of us to join together with you in prayer in that manner. And maybe you're on the flip side. You know what, and, and you're sitting at the waters of Elim and things are really, really good in your life right now. And you, and you want to just, you want to thank the Lord for what he's doing. But I also want to say, you know what? You need to be encouraged to remain faithful in what you're doing right now. Because sometimes the most dangerous place that we can be in our life is when things are really, really good. 
because we get super comfortable. And we start going, you know what? Things are really good, and we just kind of start coasting. And we, we, kind of, we kind of forget about God in the midst of all that. And, and we just kind of, we kind of get this tunnel vision. We're like, man, things, things are good. Like, I got this. I, I got this. And we forget who got us there. We forget the one who brought us to that mountaintop. We forget the one who directed us to those sweet waters with all, everything that was there. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to say, you know what? Don't quit praying that God will continue to provide what you have there and even greater things because there are greater things in store. We can never, ever believe that what we have in these moments, as great as they may be, are the best things that God will ever provide. Because if we do that, we've limited our God to a box. And our God can never be placed inside of a box. Our God is greater than we could ever, ever imagine or picture or, or try to describe and put inside of a box. So this morning, I want to encourage you, whatever situation you find yourself in, know that we serve a God who is a healer, who is moving. And as I said, we don't always understand what God is doing, but we must trust Him in all situations. Maybe you're sitting there and you're going, you know what, I'm, I'm just wandering in the desert. I'm not in either of those places. I'm just simply wandering, and I don't know where I'm at this morning. Maybe you haven't given your heart to the Lord. And that's the first step in all of this. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're ready to make that decision, I want to, I want to present that opportunity. So one thing I'm going to ask this morning is with every head bowed and every eye closed, with nobody looking around, this is a time just between you and the Lord, time of reflection. I want, to, I want to present that opportunity. So this morning, simply I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to do anything uh, out of the ordinary. Simply, if that's you this morning, you're saying, you know what? I'm ready to, to ask for that ultimate healing. I'm ready to surrender my heart to the Lord and believe God for the greatest thing I could ever do, which is, is to ask for forgiveness for my sins and surrender my heart to the Lord and ask Him to come into my heart. This morning, if that's you, I simply want you to just quickly put your hand up in the air and put it right back down. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Awesome. What I'm going to ask now is, is if you've made that decision this morning or you've ever made that decision before, I just want to ask you to repeat after me in prayer this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I thank you this morning, thank you this morning for, sending your son, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ to this earth, to, this earth to, be to be the perfect sacrifice for my sins. And make a way for me to make for me to be made whole. I commit my life to you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright. You can you can open your eyes and, and look up here again. This morning again I just we're going to take the next few minutes and we're just going to open up the altars and myself and a few of our other leaders are going to be up here for prayer. And if it's one of those things, oh, sorry, if you're wandering, if you feel like that's where you're at, you're just wandering and you're kind of in that place right now, I want to encourage you, just seek the Lord and ask him to direct you. Trust him. 
He will show you where you are to go. Because every single one of us in our journey have been in those places where we feel like we are just wandering, where we just don't know where we're supposed to go, what's next, and we're just kind of sitting in that, that period of waiting. Seek the Lord, trust Him, and know that He will direct you. 